Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Facebook is reportedly considering changing its name. Now, is this a good idea after years and years of pretty much uh, uh, brand building that has turned Facebook almost into a verb, right? Uh, so some analysts compare this move to Google, which created Alphabet a few years ago so that it could focus on areas of business outside of search. And others say the potential name change is a branding move to deflect reams of criticism that the social media giant had been garnering recently. Whatever the motive, there's a lot of talk about what this new name might be. Let's turn now to gifted commentator, surely the smartest guy in the room. He reminds me, I was doing research for for an interview that I'm doing a, a short while later, and he reminds me of Marilyn Von Savant, and she, it, you know, at one time was the woman in the world who had the highest IQ in the world. Yeah, and she wrote an article. She she would answer questions in Parade magazine, you know, um, philosophical uh questions and you I always got an aha moment when I read anything from Marilyn and I feel the same way our own Marilyn von Savant how are you doing Arun Pai <laughs> way too kind Michelle I'm doing very good how are you <laughs> I'm doing so good as well so listen Facebook changing its name reportedly does a new name or rebranding make sense for Facebook, which is already so well known given its size and stature, or is this really about deflecting from from the heat that it's been getting? Yeah, who would have thought, huh? A trillion dollar market cap company on the back of just the name and the platform it's created looking to change things around. But no, like, you know, as you rightfully mentioned, there's a lot of negative press that's going on with Facebook right now, and not just the immediate term aspect of the U.S. elections, uh, the whistleblower coming out uh, saying that, you know, Facebook is putting profits in front of releasing information of how teenage girls actually, this aspect of social media platforms is actually detrimental to their mental health. This whole concept of free speech versus control and how Zuckerberg still runs basically everything over there and uh, the buck stops at him. So I think from all of those aspects of like short-termism, there was something that had to be done to try to rejuvenate uh, the brand to a very large extent. And uh, they're going down that path. And to some extent, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, Google used to be Google back in the day, and obviously like 90 plus percent of revenues are still derived from the search engine, but it's become so much more. Like the aspect of Waymo, uh, their moonshot factory, you name it, right? They've expanded into so many other things on the back of that cash cow that is Google search Mm -hmm. that they had to go about trying to rebrand themselves. And I think Facebook's doing the exact same thing. So um, some believe that over the long term it can succeed, but over the short term, a lot of people are going to kick up a storm. Um, There's a lot of speculation online as well as what this new name could be. If you could rename Facebook, what would you call it, Aaron? (laughs) Sadly, I'm definitely not the creative type, but I did this whole name change of like, horizon or something to tie it in with this uh, metaverse aspect that they're going down. That could be interesting. I, I think it's going to be announced in like less than a week, give or take. Yeah, October 28th, October 28th correct. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think meta is a good choice, honestly. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
If so, let's move now to what Facebook had has done just a day ago, quite quietly on the side of all this. It's launched a wallet called the Novi Wallet to very limited audiences over in the US and the Guatemalan markets. And the Novi Wallet is not going to support Facebook's native DM currency. It will support Paxos, USDP stablecoin initially. Now, this is the first time this Novi Wallet has been made available to the public. So without its own currency, Facebook's Novi Wallet is going to allow users to send and receive money using the Paxos stablecoin in partnership with Coinbase. And and ours, um, Coinbase, we saw Coinbase stock up 2% following the news that it would be storing these cryptocurrencies that Facebook will offer users who sign up for this new digital wallet called Novi. Um, and, and then hours after the launch, we heard Senate Democrats calling on Facebook to pretty much end this digital wallet and cryptocurrency project, saying that the company cannot be trusted to manage cryptocurrency. So lawmakers are critical of Novi. What do you think of this news in light of... Uh, you know, with, with this context of Facebook seeing its future in the metaverse? Yeah, it's, it's difficult, right? Because, I mean, there are so many uh, up, like startup companies in this space that are doing some really, really interesting things. Mm-hmm. As much as a, you know, Bitcoin hater that you might call me, I think this aspect of metaverse and Web 3.0 and all of this, like the usage of blockchain technology uh, in our real world, situation, I think is truly fascinating. The problem is when you have a trillion dollar company that has not got the best reputation and definitely not got good links with the government right now, especially on the back of this whole US election, fake news and fraud and everything else, then going into uh, cryptocurrency, the the finance space that's very highly regulated for a trillion dollar company at least, it was going to always be a very uphill battle. And we saw how, you know, Libra basically collapsed a couple of years back when they made this big hoo-ha about coming up with this their own cryptocurrency and they tried to rope in 40, 50 different partners. It fell on its face, just purely on the back of the fact that regulation is going to be looking a lot closer at what Facebook does than even, say, what Coinbase does right now. And Coinbase is like, you know, $50, $60 billion uh, market cap or any other startup for that matter. All of that being said, you know, it, it, Coinbase went up 2%. Uh, Facebook decided to use its own stable coin, not USDC, on the back of Coinbase. Otherwise, trust me, Coinbase would have shot a lot higher. It's going to be very difficult. I, I think the first step of Facebook getting into this space through the crypto wallet, personally, I think was not the smartest one. Just purely on the back of regulation in the financial sphere. I think if, and this is what they are doing also side by side, hiring the 10,000 people in Europe, apparently creating their whole metaverse universe. They've already got Oculus in terms of like those glasses. I think if they had stuck to more of either the gamification or just this virtual world where people can move around and converse with each other and everything else and stayed away from the financial aspect, I think that could have been quite interesting. But make no mistake about it, this is something that Facebook has to do. Like, you know, of all the craze that Bitcoin is, has created, I think the underlying theme of Web 3.0 is going to be the future, right? Where, mm-hmm. why do individuals like, you know, and this takes me back to this uh, video I was seeing of uh, Andreessen Horowitz, one mm. of the world's famous venture capital funds. 
they were highlighting this issue of, I mean, let's take an example of Uber, right? Where, sure, smart guys, smart algorithms, sleek UX, UI of an app. But at the end of the day, it's a platform that required, the only way you can monetize that platform is having millions of consumers on one side who want to ride, but equally tens of thousands of drivers on the other side. So go back to the time when Uber was launched and the first hundred Uber drivers that signed up, right? They had to probably wait hours to get the next customer. Yet they kept themselves on the app. They kept waiting to get the next customer and they kickstarted the actual platform, right? So it was a combination of obviously really cool tech, but along with that, the underlying initial users. Now, Uber has obviously become a multi-billion, like 40, 50 plus billion dollar company. Sadly, those initial Uber drivers have been left behind. And that's common across the whole host of things, right? I mean, Google search, why is it so smart? Because we click through websites, the 30 page, uh, you know, the contract that you say you have to, I agree to, to get into this ecosystem. Facebook, exact same thing. Reddit, Quora, all of us are creating content. And sure, a couple of micro-influencers will get a little bit of money, or YouTube for that matter, like a little bit of money, but nothing compared to the hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars of market cap that these companies have created. So this aspect of getting power back to the people to some extent, which was not possible earlier because how are you going to you know, give compensation to these drivers? You don't want to give cash because you're a cash-burning company. You can't give shares because there are like tens of thousands of drivers potentially that are going to sign on. Mm-hmm. But that's been changed by this aspect of blockchain, right? The change by this aspect of tokenization. And I think that's going to be something extremely powerful where more and more people are realizing that my data should not be given away for free. Like there's a lot of concerns about that. So how do I get into the space of decentralization, which is completely the antithesis of Facebook? So they have to go down this path of creating this metaverse and all of that, but will enough people trust them Mm. is the big question mark. And that, you know, time's going to tell. The bottom line, the fact is though, that Facebook has truckloads of capital, some very smart people, obviously employed in the company and apparently 10,000 more that are going to be hired, can they create a very seamless experience for users where a lot more people can benefit from it? And if they can pull that off, then, you know, a trillion dollar market cap of Facebook could look like chump change five or 10 years into the future. <laughs> well put, well put. <laughs> Big questions there, though, on the trust gap and whether, you know, to what extent regulators are going to put the brakes and all that happening. Uh, but, but yeah, fascinating big questions. And speaking of power to the people, hard to believe that before 2018, we could only in Singapore buy electricity from SP Group. Because 2018 was when the electricity market was open to households. But here we sit asking, what has happened? What has happened to Singapore's electricity market, right? Um, we saw a global fuel crunch, first of all, that's caused prices to skyrocket. And then on October 14th, we woke up to news that iSwitch Energy, they're one of Singapore's largest independent e-retailers, will be ceasing on November 11th. That was swiftly followed by Ohm Energy. Uh, Union Power said it's going to be scaling down its operations. A third retailer, Best Electricity, has said it's leaving the Singapore electricity market. So why, Arun, help us understand why so many players in Singapore's open market for electricity are pulling the switch? 
I, I mean, I signed up with Capital Electric uh, a year ago, right? And I locked myself into a 24-month contract where I'm paying 16 cents kilowatt hour, right? Mm-hmm. That's the price I'm paying. Right now in the open market, which is basically how uh, users that have or consumers of SP Power are going to get charged, it's currently at around anywhere between 24 to 25 cents. So it's a 50% price increase from the rate that I could lock in for two years, just literally like 10, 12 months ago, right? Or even eight months ago or something like that. And it's the underlying fact is the, all these uh, companies that came on board trying to, you know, be- becoming their own electricity uh, providers to the end consumer, that is, they basically provided, they had to dangle this carrot to try and convince people to switch out of the incumbent and come onto their platform even though it was relatively seamless, to be honest. I'm a bit surprised that more people didn't do so. Mm-hmm. That probably would have just hastened the collapse of these guys even more. So from a selfish perspective, I'm kind of glad that more people didn't. Mm. But from that aspect of people just switching over, the underlying, like these kinds of like Capital Electric, all these other companies that are out there, they were still taking, it's not like they had their own electricity generating sources, right? They were still trying to use SP Power's underlying infrastructure but they had to come up with like carrots to convince people to come on board. And that shaped out into these aspects of locking yourself into all-time low energy prices for two years. And in fact, Apple Electric had a three-year contract too. So they had to do that to incentivize people to switch over. But in the back end, they had to have figured out a way to try and hedge themselves, buying forwards in the marketplace, like, you know, potentially taking some, even if uh, the underlying SP power or Singapore electric prices might not have been a tradable market, hedge themselves by going long oil or going long nat gas through the futures market using an online broker's platform or an investment bank. Evidently, that did not happen. They were potentially taking market views on how electricity prices are going to stay that low or even go lower. Hence, they might make a profit by selling a fixed rate electric city plan to consumers that say 17 uh, cents kilowatt hour and then monetizing the spread between 17 cents versus them, you know, paying to SP group at a price that's lower than that. That obviously did not happen. Prices have shot through the roof. The huge supply chain issues that we talked about last week have spilled over into the energy space, started out with NatGas, gone into oil, the entire spectrum, right? This whole aspect, to me, I think the bigger issue is this is not a short-term problem that's going to go away anytime soon, right? The kind of issues that we are seeing across the energy space, they're here for at least the next six months to a year, maybe even longer. All because of the fact that this whole ESG drive that's been happening in the world, which is great, right? Don't take me wrong. It's fantastic from the aspect of improving the environment and making the air cleaner and all of that stuff. But the problem, and there were all these predictions that in 2025, the world is going to see, you know, oil peaking at that point, then it's going to start stepping down, all of that stuff. But what about from 2021, October, until 2025? And that requires a lot of capital investment in the space, like ensuring that the oil wells are still working well, uh, coal plants are still firing, all of that stuff. Not enough uh initiative or capital was being deployed in this space. And now we're going to suffer from that. 
where there's a lot of older equipment, there's a lot of like these old wells that can't be resalvaged. It's going to take time to, you know, bring the entire uh, energy cycle back on track. And that's not like a three month or a six month thing. These have very long CapEx cycles. So from all of those put together, this is not a short term problem that can be solved relatively easily. Electricity prices are going to be going up as they already have been the last couple of months. I think it will be very easy to see a lot more of these uh, providers or secondary tertiary providers using SP Group's electricity and then, you know, repackaging it in a certain way and selling it to consumers. I can easily envision a world where a lot more of these will go bankrupt in Singapore. Luckily, though, safeguards have been put. Thank God for the government to have that in place. Your contract gets goes goes away. You immediately go get connected to SP Group. Your electricity stays, which is the most important thing. Yep. But electricity prices, your electricity bill shoots up by 30, 40, 50% at current prices. Who knows what's going to happen in the next three to six months? That's a problem. That is the issue, isn't it? So you're not affected, right? So far, because luckily mm, Kepler Electric is still bailing yet. me out. <laughs> but <laughs> I hope they don't go under because then my electricity bill goes up by 40% uh, overnight. <laughs> exactly, which is the question people are asking. I mean, the whole idea was to give consumers more options to manage their energy costs, right? And choose from uh, to buy the retailer at a price plan that best meets your needs. So is it a question of too bad you got to pick from who's left? If that even exists, or if the existing electric retailers are going to like have to cancel their plans, raise their white flag and tell the consumers, look, I either have to go bankrupt mm-hmm. or I need to change the 16.5 cents to 20 cents or slightly higher. I think conceptually what happened, like it makes a lot of sense, right? Like opening up to competition, getting more players in and all of that good stuff, which benefited consumers in the short run. The problem is, I think if it was... The, the execution, not from the government's perspective, but from the comp- the individual electric, uh, you know, resellers, I think that is where it went wrong, where they, it was just like dollar signs in front of their eyes that, oh, this is a fantastic market I can, I can get myself into, acquire 50,000 users, I can try and monetize them in other ways, and all these beautiful PowerPoint slides got created. But the underlying thesis of Singapore is too small a place and regulations uh, in addition to that, it's not like you'll be able to create electricity through your own means, right? Like in the US, you have multiple electricity providers, like generators and then providers. Over here, you don't have that kind of luxury. So they were always going to be tied down to SP Group and hence the volatile prices. The only way they could have salvaged all of this is by taking some kind of proxy as I was highlighting earlier, taking some kind of proxy and say, going into the oil markets, going into the nat gas markets and hedging themselves through that, which is very uh, liquid and they could have gotten these contracts done either through online platforms or through investment banks if they were, they were the larger ones. They could have hedged themselves. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Potentially there was some greed involved over here, obviously, where the view was that energy prices will just keep collapsing. And uh, they basically stood out uh, naked in this case. They didn't hedge themselves. Mm. And that's caused a huge problem. Okay, so I'm seeing uh, questions from listeners. For those of us who need to go back to SP, what do we do? Wait and see? Uh, It sounds like it, right? No choice. I mean, mean, either you live without electricity (laughs) or (laughs) go back to SP Group. You could go out, like, uh, to be honest, I've not seen what 
the latest kettle price is going to be or any of these other uh, resellers, what their prices are. Presumably, if you lock yourself into a contract for one or two years, you might be able to get a cheaper price than what is currently in the market, uh, as in that what you'll have to pay through SB Group, which is 24, 25 cents. But still, it's going to be a decent amount higher than before. And if this COVID pandemic is still going on and the economy is not opening up and all of this stuff, it's going to hurt the bottom line to some extent, right? Like it's a very tough situation for the end consumer, sadly. It is a very sad situation. Thank you very much, listener. Arun Pai joining us this morning in Money and Me. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at Flow. Let's turn to WeWork, finally making its debut on the stock market after its $9 billion merger has been approved by shareholders of a SPAC, bringing to an end its tumultuous two-year journey to go public. So in this day and age where nobody wants to breathe the same air as uh, other people are breathing and the future of offices is hotly debated, does WeWork still have a business model that is sensible, Aaron? It's tough, right? I mean, the market has already voted to some extent where the SPAC uh, uh, company, Bao, is like already down 7% uh, in the last couple of days. This whole concept of elevating the world's consciousness has not quite been realized, right? They're claiming that it's going to be at a market cap of roughly just under $10 billion, like $9 billion, give or take. If you look at the financials, they're still not uh, painting a particularly rosy picture. In 2020, last year, the company lost uh, just over $3 billion. This was on the back of having their CapEx or capital expenditure dropped to $50 million from an amount of $2.2 billion in 2019. So basically just going to show that they've tried to reduce the amount of expenses as much as they can, yet the cash burn is still going quite strong. I mean, if you look at this year, Q1 2021, just in the first quarter, there was close to a $2.1 billion loss of which $500 million had to be paid out to Adam Newman. Revenue for this year, they're claiming it, you know, they were initially forecasting it to be $3.2 billion, but the first half came up to only about like 1.25, so like way less than 50%. And that's going to be a problem because in Q3, they ended up with $658 million revenue, which means that in this last quarter, which has already started, they need to be gunning for over $800 million, which is going to be, you know, much higher than what they've achieved in the past a couple of years at least at the minimum to be able to just come up to the bare expectation of meeting revenue. And that in turn shapes up to how initially they were looking at getting break even by the end of this year that got pushed to 2022. Now you're looking at like 2023, give or take. So it is a huge problem for the CEO, the new CEO to solve, right? Because he's been given this huge cash losing machine, this cash burning machine that he had to try and turn around. And they've gone about slashing all these leases, uh, trying to renegotiate as much as they can, cutting off CapEx to a very large extent. It's just a massive problem. It's going to take a long time for management to figure out how to go back to at least being break-even. And, you know, SoftBank's put in $17 billion into this business through a mixture of equity and debt, and they got a whole bunch of warrants, struck it like one cent and everything. So don't think that SoftBank has immediately lost you know, $10, 15000000000 billion on this just because the market cap's going to be $9 billion. 
but it is still a huge problem uh, for SoftBank too. So do you think SoftBank is going to make its money back? Honestly, like the, 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 there's not been a complete disclosure of, uh, there has been to some extent, there's all sorts of these uh, notes, preferred notes, uh, preferred shares, debt, warrants that are given. At the end, you know, once the company stabilizes and can start exiting this thing like they were trying to a couple of years back, but sadly failed. I think that's when we can truly see whether they'll be able to come out relatively on a break-even basis. So the only reason I was seeing that is, you know, there are these headlines and in financial times is quite negative with uh, WeWork because they kind of like called out Adam Newman on his uh, the huge showmanship. Mm. There are all these headlines saying, oh, SoftBank is plonked in $17 billion dollars they own roughly like 50, 55% of WeWork, but WeWork's market cap is now dropped from 47 billion down to 9 billion, which means WeWork, uh, SoftBank only owns, like is worth only like four and a half, like the stake is only worth four and a half billion dollars. That's a huge loss, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. That's not exactly how it works, right? Because even when you go to a smaller scale startup company, whenever a venture capital firm gets involved, they take, you know, preferred shares, convertible shares, uh, warrants in the company stock at much lower strike prices to buffer themselves or to, to protect themselves in case there's a quote-unquote down round, which means you know the next round valuation turns out to be lower than what the venture capital firm got themselves into. SoftBank has obviously taken this to the nth degree because they pumped in billions. There's hundreds of millions of shares of warrants that they've got at literally a strike price of one which means as soon as the share price even lists at $10, they've immediately made that $9.99 profit. So from all of that aspect, uh, you know, obviously when the news came out uh, a couple of years back, SoftBank shares have corrected quite substantially, but from the aspect of whether they'll be able to come out completely unscathed, I think there are some interesting initiatives that WeWork is doing, like their all-access program. COVID in a way has kind of benefited them to some extent where this business model of co-working might pick up a lot more steam. Maybe not co-working 1.0, which mm -hmm. was the initial model, mm -hmm. but this other aspect of uh, what WeWork is doing is doing right now. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of competition in this space that are much more asset light, much more nimble. And WeWork still has a lot of baggage of 24, 28 month leases that they need to get out of somehow. And uh, it has to go through the motions, right? It has to go through the time. So hopefully over the next six months or one year, the senior management team can try and clean up this mess, get into a more asset light aspect of creating these societies or environments where uh, users can you know, sign on for a monthly pass and go to any WeWork location that's out there or buy ups with other co-working spaces. I don't think this concept of co-working is going anywhere. Mm. If anything, I think over the next couple of years, there's a good tailwind behind it. Mm. But is WeWork the right player or not? I think it's going to be quite difficult given their baggage. Absolutely fabulous. Well, thank you. Next, uh, we'll, we'll go through whether or not you can buy WeWork through a SPAC. Can we do that? As soon as it's publicly traded, absolutely. I mean, you can buy the SPAC right now uh, under the ticker, whatever. Uh, what I don't know what the mm -hmm. ticker of BOW is, mm -hmm. but eventually it'll get converted to whatever WeWork wants to rename it. And at that point of time, uh, the consumers can buy the SPAC right now, uh, not under the name of WeWork. And when eventually the reverse merger does happen, 
then uh, they get a, uh, access to it. So yeah, consumers can buy it. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the whole point, right? Thank you so much, Arun. Clearly the smartest investor in the room. Chief Strategy Officer at Flow, Arun Pai. The news is next. Thanks so much for being here with us here on Your Money. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.